welcome back. We've made it episode 10 for us of the Better by Voice podcast. Uh, super excited to, to be back here and chatting with you today. And we have a, a really special guest, a uh, good friend of ours, Jody Watson, who's been an industry CMO for a long time and, and, and C-level for a very long part of her career. J- Jody, it's great to have you today. Thanks, Alex. I'm really excited to be here today. Hey, Jody, before we get started, you know, I know you super well and have known you for a long time and, and watched you do just amazing things. Can you just do a quick, uh, brief uh, overview and intro to who you are? Absolutely, sure. And hello to all of your listeners today. I'm excited to be here. I've been in marketing and e-commerce for a little over 20 years now. And I started my career, well, I guess some would say it started earlier than that in retail when I was working at McDonald's when I was putting myself through college many, many years ago. But uh, recently, I have been in more of the board startup and consulting environment. My career started in retail and e-commerce many years ago, and my first big e-commerce gig was at Eddie Bauer. But I've worked at companies such as Williams-Sonoma and Pottery Barn, a startup called Bag Borrower Steel, Wolverine Worldwide, which is a manufacturer of footwear and apparel for 12, 13 brands, and also Petco. So I've been in a lot of different industries from luxury fashion to pets. And now I find myself doing consulting and board work and advisory work, which I'm really enjoying. And my last CMO gig was at Petco. And my most recent CMO gig is at a company called Smart Canister, which I'm actually starting with my husband, which is a new thing for us. It's going quite well. We're looking to launch our beta this fall. And it's a technology internet of things company in order to help you manage your coffee subscriptions better. So I'm excited to be here and talk about all these things. And I hope that some of your viewers get a few nuggets of wisdom from me. I will try to be engaging. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, since you basically made sure that we were clothed, our uh, pets ate well, and uh, we were well accessorized uh, over the last 20 years, uh, I think you've got a ton of insights uh, for our listeners. So it's great. Thanks for being here. So as a uh, podcast called Better by Voice, Alex and I really spent a lot of time in this next space of, you know, what's happening with conversational experiences from smart speakers to uh, all these other devices that are enabling uh, those experiences as well as, you know, chat and other things. And so we were really excited to talk to you because you've got so much experience, especially from an e-commerce perspective around how to engage, you know, the market. But as we sit here today in uh, uh, what seems like just the most crazy year ever in 2020, um, and I look back over the last quarter, you know, the the entire marketplace that that our economy has fundamentally changed and how people do things. And so while we, we can't wait to talk to you about voice specifically and your thoughts on that, I'd love to just kind of start and level set with a question for you. And, and that's, you know, with everything that's changed, as a CMO, what's changed for you? And then also, what hasn't? What hasn't changed in your world? So sure. would you, you know, uh, share just a few things with us about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess the, the positives and negatives about my background and career is that 
Um, I've always been the person they sort of bring in to be the quote unquote change agent or the person that's driving digital transformation in an organization. And the CMO role has changed a lot over the years. But as I find my experiences have sort of converged upon this crazy year 2020, there have been a lot of things that haven't changed. And for me personally, a lot of things haven't changed, but my experience has sort of distilled and reinforced those facts. And I'll give you a couple examples of that. So when I was starting out in e-commerce in 1998 with Eddie Bauer, um, you know, I was the fourth or fifth person on the team to join the e-commerce team. We didn't even call it e-commerce back then. But a lot of the things that we were doing in 1998 are things that we're still doing today, email marketing, search marketing, we had it, you know, different names, but all of the underpinnings of that was a customer first approach and a data driven approach. And so those things have just gotten more sophisticated over time. And I know we're going to talk about AI in the future here, but I think when I look at the patterns of where we've come from, they've just gotten more distilled and more focused, but it hasn't necessarily changed going through and living through the Great Recession of 2008, going through even 9-11, um, working at Eddie Bauer at the time, I think that I see a lot of commonalities there. And what continues to resonate with me is that your customers will help you and tell you where to go. You can't entirely listen to them and, um, with everything that they're telling you, because as I like to say, buyers are liars. And when you ask them what they want, they'll often tell you something different. But you do need to look at what they're doing, how they're behaving, and what they're asking for to distill an insight into where you want to take them. And I think if you listen to your customers, first and foremost, they will always tell you or give you a path or direction to head. And what I'm really excited about AI and just the future of, of being in the space is that we're using data and technology to help drive and propel us further so that we can free up our brains to help make better decisions and to help make better operational choices. So I think that when I consider 2020, I like to take those experiences of 9-11 and 2008 and all of the challenges throughout my career and say, what, what do we need to do right now to help better the experience? And a couple other examples of that are that um, not only listening to your customers, but ensuring that you make the experience for them online seamless, that you're using search and discoverability as fast and easy as possible, and that you're creating the best customer, customer service channel that you can in order to help propel them and make them trust, help them trust you. If you don't have trust with your customers, it's going to be very difficult for you to earn their business and to retain their business. I think you mentioned something right at the end there, Jody, in terms of that sort of seamless interaction that also helps build trust, right? You don't have a bunch of steps uh, in this process that are getting in the way of getting to whatever that end result is. How have you seen over the last several years of your career, how have you seen sort of the, a shift from, you know, what used to be, hey, we, you know, our goal is to you know, kind of get you to a knowledge of our product or our service as a marketer to our goal today maybe is a bit different, right? It's to open the door to a conversation or experience has become much more of a sort of centralized focus of sort of the marketing organization. How has that shift been for you? Or have you seen that same shift or am I totally off base? 
No, I think you're right, Alex. I think when we look at, when we talk about experience, it doesn't mean a gratuitous um, path or journey that you force in your customers through. Experience means answering the question for a customer before they even know what they're asking. It means providing the answer to them as quickly and easily as possible. And it means that you're helping them with whatever help they need as quickly as you can get it to them. And so when we talk about experiences, if we're a multi-channel retailer, for example, we need to be we need to ensure that we are where our customers are at any given time. If they're up at 2 a.m., you know, on social media or making a new TikTok video, we need to make sure that we understand where they are so that we can answer a question about a product or service when they're thinking about it. Because as we know, the customer shopping experience isn't linear and it isn't even organized. It can be, you know, this really crazy spaghetti plate of decision making and understanding. So if we understand that, you know, where our customers are and what channels that they're using and what problems they're trying to solve, then we can send them quickly down a path to help serve them. And I do think that the faster we can help that customer get there, the better we're going to be rewarded by their business and their trust. Well, I think, uh, I just had this great idea about you uh, making a TikTok video at 2 a.m. in the morning. I was wondering what that was going to be about. But <laughs> Don't put it past me, Russ. <laughs> I think the the when we when we start unraveling what you talked about that spaghetti uh, experience, the fact that you know there's no no there's not this linear approach that we think makes perfect sense when we're putting it up on a whiteboard about the customer journey. I think about how, you know, our experience and what's transformed with technology uh, has changed things. We think of the just a, a grocery store or a normal retail location. They were designed for flow to maximize the amount of revenue uh, based upon the customer journey. They would take us, you know, the grocery store adage would be the produce is on one side and the meat and the seafood department were on the other with milk and dairy, you know, along the back to sort of get us to, to, to weave our way through the store to, to maximize the shopping cart. And then in e-commerce, we realize, well, that just doesn't happen because the user bounces around and they think about things differently. And they actually, there's a lot more sort of serendipity and more intentionality to a lot of the transaction side. And so when we think about what was missing along the way was some of that technology you talked about. I remember when, we were building those uh, e-commerce systems in the late 90s and early 2000s. And we, we really were just, you know, cobbling things together that didn't make a lot of sense. And now we have this infrastructure, but also I want to jump into that AI space you talked about and go a little bit deeper there. You know, as you sit there as a CMO that's used data your entire career because, you know, that was sort of the, the promise, the holy land of e-commerce is we'd learn more, we'd have so much more information about the what customers were going after what they were searching for the search terms talk more about what you what you mentioned about you know sort of that augmentation that these new technologies that ai brings to a marketer perspective to be able to 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 elevate that level of experience you talked about yeah i think when I think about using AI and automation, it's you know sort of a fancy word for a highly processed data. And um, 
so a recent forester study that I just read came out that said um, fewer than a fifth of companies say that they really are aspiring to have a highly personalized experience for their customers because they understand that it isn't just one linear path that people are taking. So trying to understand what are those customer journey maps for a number of your customer cohorts. And you don't have to do every single one of them because that would be thousands. But certainly you probably have 10 that most of your customers are going through. So if, if only a fifth of those firms say they aspire to have a highly customized and personalized experience, and then separately in that study, over two thirds of those firms claim that they're going to deliver that in less than two years. That disparity for me is very high. One, the intentionality of a company is there. They know that they need to move faster and they know that they need to do better, but it's going to be very difficult for companies to make that gap shorten in, its, in such a short period of time. The only way I see doing that is using AI and high data automation. So, you know, if you're looking at um, which kind of AI you're going to apply first. I think chatbots and customer service is a really great place to start. So if you're a CMO or a new marketer that is saying, where do I even start? I would start there. Start with something that solves a very simple, very easy customer service problem and pick a couple different use cases that you can solve um, easily and then expand it from there. If you're looking at personalized experiences in as a whole, it could be too overwhelming. And oh, by the way, everything that we're doing with AI these days is going to touch um, IT. And as we know, IT already has 117 number one priorities. And so we need to help them distill down what they're going to, to do. Separately, as a CMO, our job is not only chief revenue officer, chief customer experience officer, chief marketing officer, chief data officer, but it's also chief interaction and influencer. And as a CMO, I need to understand who my decision makers are and who my influencers are and ensure that they understand all the benefits that AI can bring and try to distill it down from the jargon that we use in marketing so that they can get on board. If I can tell a CFO who's sort of scratching his head or her head understanding what am I trying to do with this? And why is this person asking me for millions of dollars to support this? I need to really distill it down and saying, look, I'm just trying to make a better experience for our customers, an easier, faster experience for our customers and anticipate what they need and what they want to solve their problems. That's really the heart of what AI is going to do for us. I love that, Jody. I think uh, one of the things that you had mentioned there that stood out to me was trying to get to sort of the the core of this experience, right? To abstract everything else away that you're right, the CMO role has changed to be sort of all encompassing, right? You, you have to be able to sort of play across IT and revenue and, you know, customer experience as well. And I think that, that it now plays a unique role in how you can get closer to customers in our current sort of pandemic or COVID-19 era, right? It's, it, Yes. It's evolved that conversation to now have to also include, hey, how do we start new conversation with new conversations with our customers when we might not be able to reach them on the same channels we did before? Or we may have to mm -hmm. now, you know, double down on digital. We already had a digital strategy, but now we have to go there faster and you've got to convince more people to move quicker in that in that arena. 
How has that changed for you or how do you see that continuing to evolve over the next six to 12 months? Yeah, I think you're right, Alex, that, um, you know, pre-COVID, different investments and budgets were following more of a distribution omni-channel approach for retail in particular. And that's really my vertical and my understanding. But I think it's also following CPG and manufacturers as well. So um, another recent study that I was looking at showed that pre-COVID, a lot of investments were um, going to be increased for third-party marketplaces, websites, not mobile sites, websites, and retail stores and distribution. And post-COVID, those shifts are now going to be for mobile apps, mobile sites, social media, and um, online voice or chat. And so I think that really falls into what you guys are trying to do here, that um, the industry is rapidly shifting their investment objectives, knowing that they're going to have to double down, triple down, quadruple down on their digital transformation. And it's not even so much a digital transformation as it is a customer experience transformation that happens to be fueled by digital. And um, really, it does start with a customer. And if we talk too much about the technology that's enabling it and not about the end user, I think we might lose the forest for the trees. And a recent, you know, just my own personal experience this week, even yesterday, I was on the phone with three different companies whose names will go unnamed uh, for the purpose of this podcast, but three different companies, I, I had to end up calling their call centers. And as we know, most of the call centers are distributed and many people are working from home these days. So maybe their technology isn't so up to speed because they're having to supply and um, allow their, their employees to work from home. But in each case, I got the standard PAT recording of, you know, due to longer hold times because of COVID-19, we're going to be asking you to be patient. Okay, fine. I'm patient. Every single call was over 20 minutes that I was on the phone. Of course, I was doing other things during that time. But at the end of every single call for three different companies, the call clicked, rang, and I got hung up on. I will not do business with those companies again. That is just an incredibly frustrating experience. And for them not to understand that is really unacceptable. Now, another example was, and I will use the name, I was calling AT&T the other day. I did have a long hold time. I got on the phone. I accidentally got disconnected, but they knew who I was and they called me right back. I didn't lose my place in line. So good for them. So these are the kinds of things that I think technology can help us fix for our customers right now. That's great. Um... You know, props to AT&T and, and props to you for uh, staying calm <laughs> through the process. <laughs> I'm not sure I was uh, calm, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you sparked an idea for me that I'd like to understand from your perspective. So, you know, I've been hearing a lot of people say, and I'd love your thoughts on this as well, that COVID basically accelerated a lot of other aspects that we were already working towards. You kind of referenced that a little bit and sort of some of the CX transformation that's, that uh, you've been leading and, and engaged with. And when I think about that, you know, I think these are per many of these are permanent changes to our mindset because we're learning new ways of getting stuff done. And in fact, if you could solve that, those three 20 minute calls, at least, you know, there's an hour of your time there's a ton of value that you could accomplish in your life outside of just multitasking during the wait times. 
how, you know, as, as from a retail e-tail perspective, because that's really your wheelhouse, what, it, what are two or three things that you think are going to fundamentally stay as norms that are really critical for, for you know, companies to be thinking about uh, in the near future? Yeah, I think one of them is, you know, we used to be so proud of uh, purporting that online penetration was going to reach 28, 30% by 2024, 2025. Well, guess what? We've already gotten there now. So um, we just leapfrogged four or five years of um, online penetration and e-commerce penetration in such a short period of time. No thanks to this global pandemic. And I think it will settle back down probably into the mid-20s. I don't think it'll stay into the high 20s when people are safely able to go back into stores because they crave that experience of an actual brick-and-mortar role. But I do think some of the things that will remain to be um, staying the same will be more people will be buying groceries and pantry loading online than they did previous. I think people will realize that they didn't need to go to the grocery store as often as they did or the market as often as they did. Um, I think that people will realize that, uh, and on the company side, I think we'll realize that a digital experience is going to be the most important influencer of whether someone shops at your store, brick and mortar store, or your online store. And I think having the having an understanding that I as a customer am known and recognized by that company is going to keep me loyal and retained by that company. I also think some very basic things that that retailers should consider really over-investing in. I've already mentioned customer service a number of times. Um, I think the second thing is really anything to improve researching online. So your search feature, we're used to Google filling in our blanks, um, even by typing a few letters, they already know what we're going to do. I think customers expect the same of retailers as well. What and how do I anticipate that search feature on my website so that I don't have to continue to look and search? And then how do I find that online experience more inspiring? So that also has to do with content and photography and imagery and authenticity. And I think authenticity doesn't come from a company anymore. It comes from your customers. And so using social and user-generated content as part of your augmentation of your creative assets and content, I think is going to be really important. So those are a few things that I can think about that I would really double down on. From a personal standpoint, you're not going to find 100% digital data-driven people to hire in your organization. So instead of trying to go out and hire those people, how do you look inside and say, I'm going to take my best and brightest employees and I'm going to upskill them. I'm going to train them and I'm going to invest in them so that they stay at my company, but also contribute in the future of our business. I'm no longer going to say, I don't need this skill set here. So I'm going to eliminate that role in that person. I'm going to take that person who's been a valuable part of my company in the in the past and try to upskill and retrain them so that they can be part of our future. Joni, I think like four things you mentioned in the last two bits there were like music to my ears. I wanted to stand up and start start dancing. Uh, but I think <laughs> there was there's two that stood out. I want to go back to the one you mentioned prior about being on hold with these couple of different companies where, you know, that the experience wasn't good. And I think what that's what that's kind of taught us more recently 
is that the impact of those digital experiences and the evolution of those digital experiences is much more impactful. It has a higher impact on customers now to either customer acquisition, retention, or lifetime value, right? Like if we can't deliver on this promise of we've got to, to meet you where you are digitally in 2020 in August, then we are going to lose customers at a quicker rate than we did before, right? We have to evolve exactly. to meet you where you are. And then the second was that authenticity, I think there's a real opportunity in the conversational AI space to sort of refine or reimagine your brand voice based on you know, that user-generated content, the ability for, hey, what are, what are our customers saying about us? And then how do we turn that back around to meet them in that same sort of voice or in that same tone of voice or way to deliver that experience back to them as well. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, if you understand who your customer is, then you can easily go out and find lookalikes who are already talking about either your product category or your actual product. And then inviting those people to become not necessarily influencers, but inviting them to use their content, their voice, their pictures, um, to augment what you're doing. And I think that requires retailers to um, open up control. You know, as a CMO, I used to not like anyone to touch my copy voice, my, my pictures, um, my images, and my content. But I know that now I need to give that back to the community because they're going to do as good of a job as I could do, if not better job, because their influence is higher with my potential prospects. And so opening up that kimono a little bit, if you will, to a greater audience is really important. And I think it demonstrates um, trust and invites the conversation, engagement, and community into your brand. And that makes it a more authentic, real brand. And customers these days, um, they are looking for that. They're craving that. They don't want a corporate experience. They want a community friend experience. That's great. So, Jordy, I have a page full of notes, and we're only going to, after just listening to your answers and responses, I think we're going to have to do this again. But uh, (laughs) one of the things that I think I enjoyed the most was, I think what you are have been talking a lot about is is um, a part of the transformation of the industry. I haven't heard you once go, "How do we get people to click buy more?" Mm-hmm. Which you know, you yeah. and I spent a lot of time in, in how you know how do you get people to add to cart, add to cart? How are we going to get them into the cart? Right, you know, a, a decade or two ago, and what you're spending a lot more time on is in in listening to you is how do you create an experience that uh, the the result may be an add to cart, it may be a longer term relationship, it may be them engaging in your content, it may be engaging in a conversation at a customer service level that is not. Uh, uh, disappointing. It's less about an action that you want to buy in action versus an overall um, experience. And I I think that's, you know, the dynamic of today and the shift in sort of the culture of the marketer and buyer. Uh, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but that's what I'm hearing a lot today. And I think it's, it's, it's a great place for us to go as we look at, look at in the future. Yeah, I think I think you've you've nailed it, Russ. And just in case any of your listeners would misunderstand my tone or my direction of what I've been talking about today, 
if somebody doesn't buy eventually, all that work that you've just done is for naught. So I really, if I could stand on a soapbox for a moment, I really cannot stand it when people talk about engagement and community and we just want to love everyone. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about authentic interactions that give customers and you permission to have a relationship that leads to a transaction. If you don't have a transaction, you don't have a business. So ultimately, those tactics to get you to click to buy, those are easy. Those things are a dime a dozen and lots of people do them well. And we could probably spend 10 podcasts talking about the tactics that are going to get somebody to click to buy. But what I'm talking about is probably more upstream and up funnel than that you have to do these days in order to even get permission for somebody to click to buy. And um, it really does have to do with data. It really does have to do with understanding your customer and then employing the right operational and data tactics in order to drive to that transaction. So I didn't want to be misinterpreted there. I think it, it really is. I am very much about the buying and I'm very much about the rebuying and the rebuying after that. Um, but again, you don't get permission to have the buy in order if you don't do these other things we've been talking about. Well, you summed that up really well. And, and the other word that I wrote down, and I'm going to like three times during your conversation was trust. And I think that's a huge part of what we want to be able to, to engage the market with and build with customers. So that's awesome. Jody, Great. thank you for taking the time with us. Uh, really appreciate you and uh, all the information you've given. It was really fun. I really enjoyed talking to both you, Russ and Alex, and I look forward to having these continued conversations. Good luck. Russ, I don't know about you, but we I think I heard Jody say she's going to come back for 10 more to do. Uh, yeah, that's you know, what all, I heard. All, all that's that's in her contract so now. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Thanks, Jody. Thanks, guys.